Is that good? Can you hear me? Okay. So I have new contacts, um, so I'm going to try this too. I uh, went to the doctor, and um, they prescribed to get two different contacts, one to see distance and one to see close up. They actually do that now. So after a while, your brain sort of figures it out, but sometimes I'll look at something and I'll be like, wait, oh, that's my close one. Oh, that's my far one. So um, hopefully uh, I'll be able to see your beautiful faces as well as read my notes. So um, Kelly already prayed, so let's just jump into uh, scripture. If you haven't been here for uh, the beginning of the year, uh, we're still in January. Um, we started off with a, uh, a short sermon series that Pastor Scott has uh, spoken the last two weeks on loving. Uh, or on love. And uh, two weeks ago, he talked about loving God, which is kind of preeminent. And then last week, he spoke about loving our neighbors, kind of those who we would consider maybe outside the church community. Kelly talked a little bit about that. And this one, uh, today, I'm going to be talking about loving one another. More about those who are kind of inside the church, the people that you see around you this morning. Um, so love one another is kind of a big, big uh, topic. I guess all of them are. Um, but this term, love one another, is really interesting because it's actually used, love one another, is used 16 times in the New Testament, which is kind of a lot, um, but kind of a little bit if you consider that um, some things that I'm going to share in just a couple of minutes. So I'm going to start off with, with a, a love one another verse to kind of get us jumping off. Um, John 13, 34, this is where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and it's during the Last Supper, um, which is the night before he was arrested, or which he was arrested, um, which leads into the crucifixion a couple days later. Jesus' last words to his 12 disciples before his, his death were these. Now, some may even contend that they are the most important sayings of Jesus. I don't know if I would say they're more important than other sayings of Jesus. All of Jesus' sayings are pretty, pretty important. But John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As in the same way I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's a pretty big ask for the disciples and, and for us, right? As Jesus loved us, we ought to love one another in the same way. That's a big ask. So the question is, how do we love one another? Well, this morning, I'm not going to define love, but bring out some of the ways Scripture instructs, um, instructs us to action toward one another. When the term one another is used, apart from love, I said love one another, you find 16 times. But if you just find, look at the term one another, um, this, this uh, Greek word, alelon, um, if you look at it in the New Testament, it's always referring to your fellow Christian believers in the church. And this word is used, translated one another, over 100 times. Um, so this morning I'm going to read all 100 and I'm going to comment on each one of them. <laughs> Um, actually, uh, look at Google it, though. If you want to, Google just one another's in the Bible, and it'll give you a list of all of them. And uh, so, obviously, this is not an exhaustive list of what I'm going to share this morning. But 
kind of distilled down into a handful of essentials. Um, and I'm going to take a tip. This is not usually how I preach. I don't usually go through lists, but I'm kind of going to taking a tip from Scott's message last week. And I'm going to talk about nine or ten aspects, uh, important aspects of loving one another. All right? Sound good? Okay. So the first one, uh, loving one another, is be present in community. We ought to be present in community. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So another way of saying that is, number one, show up. Whether it be Sunday morning, core meetings, refresh, prayer, small community, whatever, outreaches, whatever. We're not asking anybody to do all of, all of these things, you know, because no one, no one can do that. We understand that. But if you're only here and there, um, and we see you once a month for a couple of minutes after worship, I don't know if that's really showing up. So, going back to the beginning, let's say we all agree that our call is to love one another. If you're not around, it's hard for me to know you and to love you. And if you're not around, it's hard for you to follow the call too, to know me and love me. So, during the pandemic, um, which is still going on, I think... It's been hard in a lot of ways, right? In church ministry, it was hard to plan and prep weekly for online services and the other things that we were doing. There's a, a lot of uh, work that, that a few people had to do. But the hardest part, I think, for everybody was the part of not being with or seeing people. Hopefully that's changing. Um, along with this, I used to do college ministry, and when I was a college student, uh, we, uh, I was a, a small group leader, um, small group Bible study leader. We called them um, core group leaders at the time, or life, life group leaders. And one of the things that we had to do uh, in, my, um, in my group at the University of Michigan, and then we translated it to doing ca campus ministry at Brown, was we had to go through a... Uh, a a, um, a course called Discipleship by Design. Um, and, uh, you know, it took like 12 weeks of how, how do you mentor people, how do you um, lead a life group, how do you, you know, deal with those types of things. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a book that went with it and a workbook. And the one thing that I remember, I mean, there's a lot of things that I remember and that I put into practice um, nowadays but the one statement that I remember more than any other statement uh, during those 12 weeks was uh, when, something that was said within the first week or two. And that's, you're going to invest in people, but invest in fat people. Fat, faithful, available, and teachable. Those are the people that you're supposed to invest in. Um, so we could talk about faithful and teachable, but I think the place to start is available. Are you around? Do you have any time available for God, for ministry, for me, 
to invest in you or to get to know you? I think this is kind of obvious. But it seems hard to be available in this westernized, uber-fast, high-speed culture, right? I think, and I don't think we should do this, but I think that we've made it a badge of honor to be the most busiest, right? You know, that example of somebody shares with, oh, I'm kind of busy this week. Oh, and we like to respond, oh, you think you're busy? Well, listen to my schedule, you know? I, 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 I hear that all the time. I've probably done that. But, you know, as a side note, it may not be your intention, but saying this is almost like saying, I discount you, or I'm more needed or more important than you. And it's not supposed to be a contest of who's the busiest. So point, you may be busy, right? We are, are busy people. We live in this, this culture that's busy. And that's not a crime to be busy. Maybe it's just for a season. But I encourage you about availability. Now, don't just listen to me. But go to God about it. Right? What does he want you to do? What does he want you to be available for? What does he want you to be active in? Take it to God. I'm too busy. Take it to God. It may take a sacrifice of giving something up. But oh, the rewards of being more available and more active in community. Maybe you need help figuring it out. Seek counsel. You know, I or Pastor Scott or the elders are here to help with stuff like this. If you have the time. Okay. So the second uh, aspect of or uh, of how we can love one another in the community is by showing hospitality. Welcome one another well. First Peter says um, in chapter 4, show hospitality without grumbling. Romans 16, 16 says, greet each other with a holy kiss. Well, I'm not saying that we should do that, but um, some of you are super gifted in this hospitality thing, you know? And others, some of us are not great. Um, but I think what Scripture is going for here is not the presentation and layout and tidiness of the decorations and centerpieces that you have or the food prep, per se, but the heart behind it. Are you doing these things, doing hospitality to puff up yourself or to build up one another? Sort of on a separate note, um, but the, the idea of hospitality is some of you guys need to learn how to smile more. You know? Yeah, right, right. I, I know, I, you know, I don't smile as much as I should. I'm trying to do it more. Um, I don't want to be fake, and nobody's asking you to be fake, but, you know, what do they say? It takes more uh, muscles to frown than to smile. That's actually true. Um, I had a pastor friend who was, he's kind of a type A guy, but he was really relational too. He really wanted to be even more relational. And uh, I remember him telling us this story about how he was talking to his wife and saying, I don't know why people think I'm always so mad at them. <laughs> and she, quiet as she was, said, have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror? Yes, so I have some practical pastoral advice. And I know this is counterculture in New England, but if you want to welcome one another, yes. well, practice your smile in the mirror. Yes. 
or with somebody else and say, am I smiling? I've done that with my family, and I said, they said, you're not smiling. And I said, I am smiling. And they're like, no, you're not. So I have to really try. But I don't want to be fake. A lot of times we think of hospitality as welcoming outsiders in, right? But we need to be good at perpetual, continuing hospitality to those within the community as well, right? Not just our own dinner parties, not just that Sunday morning, but with a life dedicated to welcoming people to be around you. Does it make sense? I do have to say, uh, another as a side note, I do, one of my favorite times during the week is when I get to be downstairs um, Sunday morning uh, greeting one one another at the door, um, saying hello and welcome. I feel like I'm saying welcome home this week. But that's just one thing. It shouldn't just be that. The third thing in terms of loving one another, and this is kind of a long one that I'm going to talk a little bit more about, is tend well to relationships. Now, this seems obvious. We've already said that we have a call to show up, but that's just the beginning. This is a deeper call than just be available to one another. I mean, there's so much we could say about this. So much. Most of one another's in the New Testament fall into this category of tending to our relationships, tending to our peeps. I'm going to jump back a little bit in the Bible to look at uh, the idea of relationship and where it comes from. Well, if you start with me at the beginning of the book, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. When God is creating the earth, after each day, he says it is good. He creates the sun and the moon and the stars and says it is good. And then the next day, he creates, you know, the water and the land, and it is good. And then animals, and he says it's good, it is good. Until after the last day, he creates Adam, which was good. But then he begins to see that Adam is... Adam is missing something, or Adam is lonely. And God says, what does he say? It is not good for man to be alone. Now, a lot of us love to say, oh, well, this is talking about marriage. And it could be, but I think there's something deeper going on. Before sin enters the world, during the creation, the original creation, God creates two distinct people to be in relationship with one another. God is the creator and designer of relationship. First, our our vertical relationship, us and him, and then the horizontal relationship, us and us. God designed and created relationship. Scripture is clear that we need to take some personal time uh, to be with the Holy Spirit on our own, right? There's there's times to go off and, and have that personal time. But the massive the good book, the Bible, shows the example that it's stories of people relating with one another under God. That's the mess of the book. How do people relate with one another under God? So even in our deep personal relationship with God that we have, it's supposed to be personal, but it's not supposed to be alone. Get that? It's supposed to be personal, but it's not supposed to be alone. 
Again, referring back to creation before sin entered, it says, they were naked and not ashamed. You can giggle if you want. Um, Now, I don't think that the reason God wrote this was to create a theology of nudism or nakedness or anything like that. But I think it was for what he knew was coming, that when sin came, distrust came, secrecy came. When sin came, suspicion and weariness of one another's intentions closed off, perpetually, emotionally withdrawn people. And this, all of us, is a result of sin. I have more to say about this, but uh, I'm going to kind of leave that till maybe the end if we have some time. Now, I recognize that some of us um, are more kind of a melancholy, quiet type of people. I mean, that's actually Pastor Scott, if you get him one-on-one. He's, he's actually more of a melancholy, like, you wouldn't know when he gets up here and preaches. But... Um, And that's okay, right? God gives us different personalities and and personality types. It's okay to be a a melancholy. As long as it's not so deeply embedded your personality that you don't allow anyone to know you. That's not God's plan. We were made for one another. So continuing, and this is uh, not point, this is still point three, but this is sub-point 3A. Continuing on with the aspect of doing relationships well, as we get to know one another, we bear with one another. It may take a little time, but when you begin to know someone deeply, you hopefully are being honest with your struggles or burdens of life. And Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is a command. This is an imperative, not a suggestion. Now, when I hear the word bearing with someone um, in, in kind of the language that we use today, it sort of implies this negative response of being unfairly forced or under compulsion, you know, to carry or deal with somebody else's problems, right? That, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun, or it doesn't sound good. But when we read scripture, a lot of scripture, God turns a lot of our learned norms on their head. Like this one. How about, instead of saying that in the negative, we we just restate the words and implication in the positive. We get the opportunity to move in, not just with our own strength or wisdom, but with God's unmatchable power to help one another to move in step with him as well, bearing their burdens. B, the best way to bear is to pray hard for one another. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, I could talk a lot about prayer. I mean, this is a huge aspect. Um, But instead of going into that, I suggest if you want to know about prayer, you go back into um, past sermons that Pastor Scott preaches, and probably about 70% of everything that he says is about prayer. (laughs) He loves prayer. He loves talking about it. 
But the goal right here is to pray for one another when you know they have a need, right? And if you have a need, don't withhold your need for God to do something. If, you're not, if you have prayer needs and you're not asking for prayer, you're not just robbing yourself of the power of collective prayer, but it's almost like you're robbing others from the blessing of praying for you. What an opportunity is it is to go to God on behalf of someone that you're laying hands on and praying to God for them. That's an opportunity. It's a responsibility and it's imperative, but it's something that I want to do. And I don't want you to rob me from that. Tell me when you have a prayer need. Tell your, your friends when you have a prayer need. And I've got a challenge for you. Um, if someone brings a struggle or a problem that they're having to you uh, today or in another uh, group setting, don't just say you're going to pray for them. But say, let's pray right now. And pray for them. And if for some reason you can't, pray when you can and let them know that you did and that you will continue. And then ask them later, how's that thing going for you? Can we pray again? Just a little small challenge. Okay. Continuing with point three, sub point three, or sub point C. Forgive deeply from the heart. One thing to know about being in relationship with people is that it's with people. Um, I, I heard a minister say, ministry is, e uh, ministry is easy, except for people. <laughs> <laughs> and people are not sinless and not perfect. And even those who follow God sometimes hurt us. Forgiveness of others, others is one of those concepts that is commanded over and over in Scripture again. I mean, you could do a month-long, year-long preaching series on just forgiveness itself. And forgiveness is not easy by any means. But let me say this. If you want to deep six or crush your relationship with God or your ability to hear his voice, don't forgive one another. Colossians 3 says, bear with one another. We already said that. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, in the same way that the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And then this verse that people struggle with this verse, I struggle with this verse. Nobody likes to talk about it. I'm not even going to comment. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to lay it in your lap and you can go to it later. Matthew 6 says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Like I said, I'm not going to comment on that. I'm going to move on to uh, letter D of number three. I'm smiling. Um, 
Look it up. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm not taking it out of context either by using it that way. So letter D, okay. Consider one another higher than who? Yourself. I know a lot of people talk about self-care and, you know, making sure that, you know, you're balanced and all that. And that is important. But you can't get away from some of these verses by saying, well, I don't do it because I need to care for myself more. I mean, there's a time for self-care and, and, you know, taking time for Sabbath and stuff like this. But where we're at right now, one of, a very common verse that a lot of people would hear, read is Philippians 2. Where Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who we as as we know, he took his, his place in heaven and came down to earth as a man, lived as a man, and he was susceptible to being tempted just as we all are. But he lived without sin. And then he was put to death on our behalf. Talk about loving one another and putting others' needs before your own. That's a good example, huh? But that's a really high bar. Right? But it's the measure. It is the measure. One that we'll never be able to reach here on earth because we're not perfect. But as we are led by the Holy Spirit, we keep on pursuing and reaching closer as he sanctifies us. You should, if you're walking with the Holy Spirit, this is kind of general, but you should be a better person than you were a year ago. This flows into numbers again, number four. Meet practical needs. Loving one another is not always convenient, right? Um, Galatians Galatians 5 says, serve one another in love. Um, Instead of going on to a bunch of stuff about that, I just want to give you two examples, and they're similar examples. Something like... I don't know, seven, eight years ago, we had a really, really, really big snowstorm in Providence. It seems like we have one every other year. Um, and uh, I had thrown my back out, and we had two young kids. And uh, the morning that we woke up and saw, it was like this deep, right? It was really, really deep. We look outside, and we hear somebody shoveling snow. It was Nate and Becky Proct. And the thing about it is they were living maybe a half mile, a little bit more away from us. They couldn't get out of their driveway with their car because uh, there were live wires in their street. So they took the time to get their shovels, walk all the way down the street, probably through heavy snow, and just start shoveling our drive. Didn't even tell us they were coming. Mm, that's That's a practical need, right? And then, last year, I think it was, was it last year or two years ago? I think it was last year. I think we got a call first. But Leno and Chantry Q heard that we were having some, I was having some trouble with my muscles, and they said, we want to come and shovel your driveway during the big snowstorm that we had. So they came, 
I think what I heard was they woke up AJ and said, we're going to shovel snow. And AJ, like AJ does, I think he put on his shoes and didn't even have socks on. And they came and shoveled, and then as they were moving their car, they got stuck. And so it was kind of uh, uh, a comedy of errors. But they came and shoveled. Wow, that's awesome. That is a practical need. And you know, all of us have, there's tons of practical needs. Just to ask around, and you'll find them. And God loves that. And I love them. I mean, I love the procs and the cues already, but I kind of love them more. Is that okay to say? Um, number five, use your gifts to serve. First Peter 4 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve one another as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Baking, music performance, public speaking, visual art, hiking, fishing, basketball, administration, gaming, construction, playing with kids, making good coffee, Serving as a security guard. Those last three uh, are very um, purposeful because we're always looking for kids' helpers and coffee makers and security guards. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, if we're gifted in something, it says we should use whatever gift that we have received to serve one another. A couple of years ago, one of the young adults, this is one of my favorite things, one of the young adults who is a nurse came up in front, and this is just cool to me, and checked everyone's who volunteered, heartbeat and blood pressure. What a cool thing to do. There's creative ways that, of things that we don't think that we're gifted in something or something that wouldn't work uh, to serve one another or to, to be creative and, and, and get God's, give God glory in, in the church. But I mean, like, there's all sorts of things. Whatever you're good at, and if you don't know, ask him. Maybe you think, I'm not really good at anything. God has given gifts to everybody. And you may not know them, and you may know some of them, but maybe not all of them. Ask him, God, what are my gifts? And then take those and bring them to God and ask him, God, now how can I serve one another with this gift? And if you're like, I don't really know, ask one of the leaders or somebody that you trust. They'll help you with that. Okay. Number six, teach, admonish, or disciple one another. Now, this word disciple, there may be some misconceptions about this word because it's not a word we use commonly today except maybe in the church, right, when you're reading about uh, the 12 followers of Jesus. We tend to think of, of uh, those 12 um, and they were the first disciples of Jesus um, in the New Testament. But discipleship is not a word reserved for, for is not a word reserved for first century Palestine. Disciple simply means a follower, right? And discipleship means learning to be a follower. And being a disciple of Jesus in the Bible is a wondrous and beautiful picture of a good dad who teaches his kids 
or a good shepherd who loves his sheep. And we're called to be disciples today. It's no different. We want to follow Jesus and his way. Now, a quick plug. Have any of you guys been watching The Chosen? Man, if you're not watching The Chosen, you are missing out. It is, it is. I don't like to say this, but a lot of us have seen some Christian media over the past 20 years that is just really bad. And I don't, honestly, some of those people, God bless them, but I feel like it almost brings dishonor to God. If it's, if it's bad and it's not done with the right heart. So I, I don't want to say that because there's a lot that is, you know, done with the right heart. But the chosen, it is not bad. It is high quality. And it's very biblical. And um, so I highly suggest that you watch it. We are on season three, up to date. So it's really, really good. Okay. A little secret about discipleship. This is at the heart of everything we do in Wren. To follow Jesus' last instruction before he went back to heaven called the Great Commission. At the end of Matthew, Jesus says to his disciples and, and his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now you notice I didn't say that we were looking to make disciples of Renaissance Church or disciples of Pastor Scott Axman. But our goal is to help make us all better disciples and followers of Jesus and his way. That's what discipleship looks like today. Now there's certainly something to be said for the value of vocational trained pastors or teachers with experience in these times but not more value than someone who is brand new in the faith or a seeker still working it out or a middler or older saint who doesn't have a title. The Bible calls us to disciple one another. Romans 15, 14 says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Now that may seem kind of like, a, okay, yeah, I get that. But this is really a profound statement from the author of Romans. Because this letter is not written, a written letter to pastors or for pastors, but written to all the church people. Disciple one another, all church people. It seems to me that the writer of Romans is advancing the idea that what I'd call communal discipleship. A batch of people coming together with all their brokenness and issues, all their gifts and wisdom, practicing the one another's and engaging in discipleship together. This is the type of group that I want to be part of, right? You know? And whom I want to practice the one another's together with. And honestly, I think when God sees that working the way that it should, his heart is charmed. Last part. 
This is why, you get that holy spit? That's why you sit closer to the front because you get the baptism of the preacher's spit. Sorry. This is why we value discussion or fellowship or getting together in what we are calling the smaller communities. Which is why we are putting the highest value on gathering in the run small communities this year. All of these eight or so things that I listed can best be accomplished through community groups. Now keep in mind that loving one another is meant to be a picture to the world. Circling back to the verse that we started with, John 13, 34, I already read, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Well, the very next verse, the very next statement, he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Everybody outside will know that we are disciples, followers of Jesus and his way if we're loving one another. Love one another should be evident and should spill over and become a mission to others. These three things that we're talking about in this series, loving God, loving our neighbors outside the church walls, loving one another inside the church, and they should not be mutually exclusive. You should not do one and not the other. I don't think you can, actually. Our small communities are not just for one another in the church, but function in order to invite someone to a healthy family gathering, adapting, adopting our neighbors and others in, chosen by, the, chosen by their inherent value of being made in the image of God. Now, you may have noticed that uh, Scott and the leaders have kind of struggled with the name of these small communities. They kind of, the name keeps morphing from one to another. We have an understanding of kind of where we're going, but we need to come up with a, a name. Because they're not a traditional Bible study, though that could be part of it. The goal is not to stay small. They're not a Sunday church service, though there could be some aspects at times. They're not a social club. It's a place for freedom and creativity. And man, I've actually heard some really great ideas to get people engaged that I didn't even think about. They're for the Wren community, one another's, to share life together. But they're also for our neighbors and others to share life. Now, I recently read a book. I'm not going to give you the title because it's a good book. He has a lot of, the author has a lot of good stuff to say. But I also don't agree with him in a lot. And um, the one thing that kind of got me my blood boiling a little bit was he came down to the point. It's, it's, it's about the church. He talks about different types of churches. And he basically boils it down in one chapter to say there are two types of churches. Family churches and missional churches, in-reach churches and outreach churches. And most cannot do both. But excuse me. With all due respect to this author, we have a God that loves his church and longs to bring outsiders into the family, and that's how we ought to be as well. And so this is the strategy, right? Yes. 
our small communities, our church family groups, but unequivocally missional. Reaching in and reaching out. So I think the, the thing that we've landed on at this point for a name is small missional communities. I know it doesn't ring really, but, but that's what they are. If you have a better name, please let us know, you know. <laughs> I mean, we have like a refresh and we have, I don't know, we've had other things that we have had all these beautiful names, elements and all these things. Small missional communities, but that's what they are. So just, uh, I'm going to close with a little bit about the communities in case you're new and don't know what we're doing. Um, first of all, man, I, ca I can't believe how excited I am uh, about this. It's yeah. just really, as, as it's becoming more of a reality, and I see the potential and the opportunities, and as I've been praying with the other leaders and praying by myself, this is exciting stuff. Yeah. Now, some of you are like, I don't know. Pray about it, because I really believe, and we believe that this is the strategy that God is bringing us into. Right. Our missional communities um, are the groups that meet outside of church. Right now, we have, a, I think, five groups um, with a plan to split and grow as they grow. You get to maybe 20 people and say, okay, it's time to split and, you know, go somewhere else. Right now, we have one in Cranston, College Hill, East Bay, South Side combined with West Side, and Warwick. And they usually meet over uh, a meal once to twice a month in schools, homes. Uh, our group just was able to get a community room in Cranston. We're really excited about that. Um, these are things that everything that I shared this morning, all the one another's, these are the places to do them. These are the places to be available. These are the places to love one another. Yeah. So I don't really have a, um, a conclusion this morning. Um, if you want to jump in with one of these groups or get in on the individual group chats, see us, see us at the uh, table afterwards. And if you're brand new and just want some information, um, go to the info table. But in lieu of having a specific uh, uh, conclusion, I think we, we, can we do one more song? Yeah, Kevin. Okay. Let me pray as Kevin comes up. God, I pray that we would learn what it means to love one another that we would live into it, God, that we would practice bearing and forgiving and serving and uh, all these other things, God, together, and that we would learn to love one another more. And God, that our love for one another, God, would not just be for one another, God, but that it would be a picture to the world of what your body and your community and your kingdom looks like. God, use us. And help us to find really the source of the love for one another and for the community outside is to start with your love. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.